good morning. It's almost like you have to do a bit of a costume change before you can get up and start speaking um, with the mask and everything. Good morning. It is good to see you. Um, Shall we pray before we dig into this passage this morning? God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us through your word. God, we still ourselves now. We open our hearts to you. Jesus, would you continue to transform us by the power of your Holy Spirit? As we dig into this passage, God, give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you are saying to each one of us. God, may it be to your glory, your honor, and your praise. Amen. So we find ourselves in chapter 7 of Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And at this point, we see a shift in focus. Paul's now addressing the questions that the church in Corinth had been asking him. Particularly for them in their Greco-Roman culture, they'd been asking questions about sex and about marriage, their intimate relationships. How were they going to respond to these things now in their new Christian context? I don't know about you as you were listening to that, but as I sat down to prepare for this morning, I thought, oh my word, blimey, this is a passage and a half. (laughs) Um, There's a lot in it. It's one of those passages with the big stuff of life, the stuff that we sometimes don't even like to think about, let alone speak about. Just this half of the chapter of chapter 7 talks about sexual relations, talks about marriage, talks about gender roles, talks about divorce, singleness, celibacy. It's all in there. No stress, Katie. (laughs) No pressure, Katie. So whilst it is a challenging passage, it's another one that gives us the possibility to dig into God's divine plan for our earthly lives. So it's bolts and braces time. It's buckle in time. Let's continue to go on that journey with God this morning into the hard stuff, into the stuff that challenges us. It would be foolish for me to stand here and attempt to cover all of that list in one sermon, and I'm not going to do that. But what I will offer this morning is what I believe God has pointed me towards as he, um, and what he has shown as we have prepared. So I'm going to focus in on marriage. But before I get there, before I get there, it's important here to recognize that Paul encourages us to remember that both marriage and singleness are gifts from God, both needed to to fulfill God's purposes, and we should recognize, honor, and celebrate both. I don't know about you, but I was captured by Paul's words in verses 3 and 4. Let's recap. It says, The husband should uh, fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Now, it wasn't the sexual nature of these verses that caught my attention, It was actually the equality, the mutuality of the roles in this marriage setting. Previously in biblical accounts, and certainly within that Greco-Roman culture of Corinth, this would have been completely countercultural. Here in Paul's words, we see equal position, 
authority and status given to women in marriage. So this got me thinking about marital and covenantal relationships. By stating that each should give to the other, yes, in physical and sexual context here, Paul's actually making the point that within marriage there is no dominant partner. Both have needs, both, have, both are equals. And this would have been radical at the time because almost everything, whether that was literature or cultural practices, would have been written and understood from the male perspective only. They would have been seen to be the dominant partner in the relationship, the dominant partner in society. And here Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Marriage isn't like that. It doesn't work like that. You are equals. So God really pulled my focus in on covenantal relationships. And whilst the world, both the Corinthian world and our world, might see marriage as a contract, we know God sees it as a covenant. And I wonder if you have thought about the difference between contract and covenant. Many people get married today by signing a contract, perhaps without that covenantal style of relationship. And it's fascinating to look at the differences between contractual and covenantal relationships. And that's what I want to spend a little bit of time looking at this morning. Um, forgive me whilst I just move some furniture. So as I, as I go through some things that distinguish between contract and covenant, you have a think too about what you understand to be the differences between contractual agreements and, relation, and, con, and covenantal agreements. I've given you almost the first one there. So a contract, when we sign a contract, it is a legally binding agreement. Andy, there is a slide for this as well, if if we can't quite see this. So contract is legally binding. What about covenant? If contract is a legal thing, what's covenant? Well, I'd like to suggest to you that it is a spiritual agreement. And I've already given you a clue to the next one. Contracts are agreements, whereas covenants are based on a promise or a pledge. If we think about contracts, sorry, covenants within the Bible, God covenants with us, they are promises to us. So over here we have agreement. The two parties of the contract agreeing to terms together. But over here on covenant, we've got promise. I promise, I pledge this to you. You can tell I haven't stood in a classroom for a while and stood at a board and written on it. Um, 
Let's think about how long these things last. A contract is breakable. It has terms and conditions. And if you don't meet those terms and conditions, the contract is broken. What about covenant? No terms. Not on our behalf when we think about the covenant of God towards us. There are no terms. It is perpetual. It is everlasting. It is eternally life-lasting, life-long. When we think about how we form one of these relationships with a contract, we would sign a contract. We would sign our name on a contractual document. Um, It is signed because it is legal. But a covenant, how do we know a covenant is made? It's sealed. It's sealed by words, by a word given as a promise. When we think about when we make a covenantal promise to our spouse in marriage, we speak vows. We pledge by our word of promise. And we seal. There we go. Of course, God's new covenant is sealed with Jesus' blood. Um, Who benefits from these kind of relationships? In a contractual relationship, who benefits if there are two parties? Both parties benefit. It's a mutually beneficial relationship. I'll do this if you do that. Covenant? What do we think? Three strands. Yeah, thank you, Hazel. Yeah, there are three strands to um, the covenant. Um, when, when we or when God says, I'm going to promise something to you, when we say that to somebody in marriage, when we say that to somebody who we are covenanting with, it's something that we are saying we will fulfill. We will do this regardless of what you do, regardless of what I get in return. We will do this. That's what God says to us. Regardless of what you do, I will do this for you. And I've already hinted at that next one. So contract is exchange-based. It goes two ways. Whereas covenant is giving. It's when we give without necessarily receiving. It's when we give when we don't even expect to receive anything. It is given freely. With contract, there's an opt-out clause often. There's a way to get out of it. With a covenant, we are given strength to hold our promise. With contract, if somebody breaches it, if somebody um, goes against what's written in the contract, the other party is no longer obliged. But it doesn't work that way with covenant. One supports the other to fulfill their promise. So when it comes to choosing to covenant with someone, 
whether in marriage or as we do so as partners here at Trinity, we do so by making a promise, a pledge. And depending on that relationship, the, pr the promise might be something like our wedding vows, where the verb, I don't know whether you clock this if you are a married person when you got married, the verb that you used to promise to your spouse was, I will. I will do that. Not I do. Not I do love you. I, I do serve you. I do honor you. But I will. It's a choice. It's one that we make um, when we choose to covenant in a relationship with someone. It's one that we choose to uphold day after day after day. And this is the tough bit. And this is what's different with covenantal relationship this side than contractual relationship on this side. Our covenant relationships go beyond when it doesn't feel equal. When the other party that you have covenanted with isn't strong in upholding or fulfilling their promise. Think about it with God and us. He doesn't back down on his promise. He doesn't back down on his pledge to us when we are weak. And when we um, covenant with somebody else, we don't back down on our promises just because the other person at some point is weak or it feels unequal. So jumping back into the passage, the Corinthians had another question for Paul. What to do when in marriage one spouse is a believer and one is not? It wouldn't have been unusual in Corinth for a couple to marry as unbelievers and then one become a believer. Such was the spread of the gospel, such was the building of the church. So Paul addresses their question. And it's not unlike our world today. There are many of us within the Trinity family where in married couples there is one believing spouse and one unbelieving spouse. I've written not yet believing. That's what I chose to wrote. That's not what I said, but I would like to say a not yet believing spouse. There are many of us where both spouses believe and share a depth of faith. And there are many of us where both spouses believe and there's a difference in depth of faith or experience of faith or experience of Christianhood. And all of those situations have their challenges. A relationship based on covenant isn't always plain sailing. When things are unequal, there's often a real depth of pain, of suffering, of heartache. And if that's you, or if that's been you at some point, know that God hears you. Know that he sees you. Know that he knows your struggle, and he promises that he is, he is with you and at work for your good. And it's this struggle that I want to talk into, to speak into for a little while, to encourage us and to equip us. As I've prayed and read and experienced and wrestled, here are some of the things that God has pointed me towards that I want to share with you. The first thing God uh, showed to me was to get the right perspective. So when we are struggling in a relationship, one of our intimate relationships, he says, get the right perspective. See the other person as God sees them. 
the other person is a child of God who needs Jesus. And in getting the right perspective, he says, remember that I love them more than you could ever love them. And he said, focus on the right kind of H. Not happiness, but holiness. And as we do so, we grow in maturity and, and obedience, which actually leads to our happiness. But we've got to have the right focus. The focus is on holiness in those relationships that leads to, through maturity and obedience, growth to happiness. He said the second thing, marriage is a ministry. Wowzers. <laughs> marriage is a ministry. Covenant relationships are a sign of the gospel. We've talked already a little bit about the covenants that God makes with us as his people. Um, but it's a sign of the gospel because we know that the word of God says that marriage represents Jesus and his bride, the church, the two parties together. This covenantal love is sacrificial. It is unconditional. Jesus didn't walk away from us when, he, when we turned on him. He did the opposite. He came to us, to earth, to give life, love, forgiveness, grace, mercy, even when we didn't deserve it. God's covenant with us is everlasting life for those who believe a promise to be with us, to never leave nor forsake, to keep no record of wrongs, to forgive and to heal. Marriage is a ministry. It reflects the gospel. And as it does so, as, as that is how we work together in marriage, we portray the gospel to the world. The third thing God said when we're in that struggle, in that, in that real difficulty of, of trying to keep our covenant relationships going. He says, pray for them. Pray for the other person and pray for you too. So have dedicated time to pray. Dedicated time to pray for your other half. Dedicated time to pray for yourself in those relationships. Because the goal is to go deeper into God's love. And we do that by going deeper with him in our relationship with him. So if you're thinking, well, what should I be praying for myself? Pray for endurance, for peace, for strength, both emotionally and spiritually. Why not share that you're praying? If you're in a, in a position where you're um, in a marriage that is with one person believing and the other not, a way to minister to that person is to say, hey, I'm praying for you. Can I pray for you? I'm praying for you at work today. It's a beautiful picture when we see um, spouses praying together and um, growing together in God's love for one another and for him. As we pray over our spouses, it reveals God's heart to them for them. And the fourth thing was be an example of the gospel. In 1 Peter 3, uh, verses 1 and 2, it says, In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. 
they will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Knock me sideways, that passage. Uh, Your godly lives will speak to them without any words. So as I choose in my marriage how to act with Lee, as you choose in your covenant relationships how to act with that other person, we do so by putting on Christ first. It's a massive challenge. I don't stand here as somebody who gets it right all the time or much of the time. But it means no harsh words. It means forgiveness. Even when it's undeserved. It means kindness, gentleness, welcome, embrace. Above all, and this is for all of us, you might have been sat there as somebody who's, who's not experienced marriage or who hasn't experienced those covenant relationships and felt, God, uh, Katie, you haven't said anything for me this morning. Um, this bit is for all of us. Whether we're married, whether we're single, whether we're separated, divorced, widowed. I really feel in this season God's been saying, find your needs in me. God, not Katie Merrins. Find your needs in me, your need for love, your need for comfort, your need for strength, for peace, for encouragement, for approval, for identity, for affirmation, for joy. Find it in God. And he promises to never fail when we seek him. He promises he is enough. He is faithful. He is sure I was reminded of the words from Psalm 21, where does our help come from? It comes from the Lord. I'm going to read it to us. I look up to the mountains. I know most of you will know this and you'll be able to say it with me. I look up to the mountains. Where does my help come from there? Oh, sorry, does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never slumbers, never sleeps. The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and go, both now and forever. What a promise. What a faithful God we have who provides all our needs. Our help comes from the Lord who watches over us 24-7, who stands beside us and protects us And he's shouting to us, look to me first. Come to me first, all who are weary. Come to me first, before any other. And you know what? I don't know whether you've experienced this. I'm just going to take a sip of water. Here's the miraculous thing that happens when we put our trust in God to fulfill all our needs. Release. Release happens. 
having our needs met by God releases pressure and expectancy from or for those with whom we choose to covenant. It gives us the ability to say, I will love you. I will stand by you, even in your failings, even in your shortcomings, because my love is not dependent on any condition or clause or action. Because I get my needs met from God, I'm freed to love you in your um, unwhole, in your broken state. I am free to love you. So that's my prayer for us this morning, that we would find release in knowing that all our needs are met by Jesus. All our needs are met in the Father's heart for us, that he is longing for us to turn to him, to search for him more deeply than we ever have done before. So God, I pray release over this, your children here this morning. God, we long to search for you, to find you. God, we thank you that your word says those who seek will find. Those who knock, the door will be open to them. So God, we thank you that you provide for all our needs. You are our strength. You are our, our encouragement. You are our joy. You are our peace. You are our comfort. God, may we find those things in you. And then may we be released to love and to honor and to cherish just as you do. I'm going to lead us in a continued time of prayer. As I do that, um, or after I do that, there's a song that will come on. Um, the invitation is to continue in this time of prayer, this time of journeying with God. Turn your eyes to him, turn your focus to him and ask him what he's got for you this morning. So let's continue to pray. God, we're sorry. We're sorry for when we have looked to anything or any other person than you to fulfill our needs. We're sorry for our actions, our thoughts, our words that do not tell of your gospel of love. God, I ask that you would strengthen each of us with your power to fulfill our promises to those we covenant with. God, where there is pain and suffering, would you bring a new season of joy and peace? God, we look to you as the perfect Father who forgives and heals. Help us by your grace and your mercy to forgive those who hurt us. That peace may be found and healing may come to our hearts, our souls, our minds and our bodies. God, enable us by your power to be examples of your gospel of love and forgiveness, especially in our most intimate relationships. God, we recognize that you are with us, that you are for us, that you hold us, that you are never far, that you are close to us.
God, we love you and we thank you for your word. Amen.